Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my bulldog Rodney is by my side as usual. Today, we're focusing on the world of commercial real estate with my good friend, David Restainer, who is the Managing Director of Commercial Real Estate for Douglas Elliman Real Estate. Douglas Elliman is a nationwide real estate brokerage company, and David works out of the Miami offices. David has been in leadership positions in South Florida real estate for over 20 years and also serves in many community leadership positions in Miami as well, such as the Greater Miami Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors and past chairman of its real estate committee, the Leadership Miami Executive Committee, and the past chairman of the Friends of the New World Symphony in Miami Beach, which is how David and I first met about 10 years ago. So please welcome my good friend, David Restainer, to Live in the Dream. David, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Ben. Hi, Rodney. How you doing? Rodney's doing great. He's actually, he's not sleeping. He's sitting here fully uh, attentive. Wow. <laughs> he living the dream. He is. He, he likes talking about real estate. Excellent. So do I. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, so do trip. I. That's my main career too. <laughs> right. Good. And that's how we met for sure. Great. Yeah. So now I'm excited to have you on because of course we're both in real estate and it's a very interesting time in the world of real estate um, with all the, the trends and new development and trying to uh, adapt to areas that are more uh, dense and incorporating transit. And usually trends start in South Florida. And there's nobody that knows more about commercial real estate in South Florida than you. So I wanted to bring you on and kind of give me your state of the union of where we are in the world of commercial real estate right now. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. That's that's kind, Ben. Yeah. I think that being in real estate at this place and this time is very fortuitous. I really feel blessed every day. I have a lot of passion for real estate and certainly for South Florida. The state of the union is great. I mean, what we're finding is more and more people are moving to South Florida. It was a diverse place to begin with when I arrived in 1992, and it seems to be getting more and more diverse. Ben, I think when we met, we both lived in the Brickell neighborhood, and um, I think mm-hmm. we would both recall back then, you know, it, the people worked pretty hard in the daytime, and in the nighttime, you might uh, go to South Beach or you'd leave the area to go find something to do. And now, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, girls are stumbling down the sidewalks, holding onto their high heel shoes at four in the morning, (laughs) (laughs) you know, when you're on the way to the airport. So they, uh, you know, it's, um, there's a lot of nightlife happening in the Brickell area and people are, you know, and any given Sunday, you know, you'll see young people with, you know, Philadelphia Eagles jerseys with their girlfriend who has a, you know, San Francisco 49ers jersey. And then there'll be a contingent of Colombians off to, to watch a, a soccer match and, and there are just tons of young people all around downtown now and and this is a big change in the last 20 years and a massive change from 10 years ago so yeah what all that means is more young people more uh, people working more people spending dollars means more retail and and it, that means more warehouses to fill the retail and and more logistics and you know, more excitement, more hotels, more restaurants, more bars, more everything. So it's a uh, more traffic. It's true, yeah, more traffic. But I'm speaking to you now from Brickell. Uh, I wanted to find a nice, quiet room, so I jumped on an electric scooter to get to to where I am now. And uh, there are electric scooters everywhere, and uh, you can weave in and out of that traffic pretty easily on one of those things. Yeah, people will curse at you, but you can do it. Right. So one thing about Brickell that's been interesting is, um, I mean, when I moved there. I guess I moved to Brickell in 2004 because I made my way down to Miami for my, my master's of law at University of Miami. 
And so I worked in, in the Brickell area. And so I was like, with this bad traffic, I want to be close to where I work. And at that time, I mean, you had more more condos, but they were like at the, the end of Brickell, like 13th Street, Corway, and South, closer to, um, I guess, the Rickenbacker Causeway to go over to Key Biscayne. But, you know, you have your George Perez's of the Related Group and other developers. They came in and started doing these condos hot and heavy in like 2004, 2005. And just these massive buildings that would be like 2,000 or I'm sorry, 500 units, oh, yeah. this and that. But with that, you had like Mary Brickle Village develop, which was brought in a lot of retail and PF Chang's. And now we have Brickle City Center. Talk about how, you know, that's been such a game changer for that area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure it is. I think going back a little bit further even than when we arrived, if you think about the 1990s in the Brickle neighborhood, Every major international bank had a spot on Brickell. Mm-hmm. It was because of the bank charter laws. There's, If you had a charter in, internationally, then in the state of Florida, you could have a charter. So we had a high density of banks, second only to Manhattan on Brickell, but not much of a, in the way of condominiums or places to live. Our city government was a disaster. It, was, it went nearly bankrupt in 1997 with junk bond ratings. So nothing was built. In 97, 98, 99, 2000, nothing. I guess with the exception of a little bit on Brickle Key and maybe an Ugo Colombo project down on the south end of Brickle, as you had mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. But then once the new mayor came into town, it was Mayor Manny Diaz, who was a real estate attorney. Thank you, real estate attorneys. Mm-hmm. And a new commissioner. There's a There used to be a 26-year incumbent guy, J.L. Plummer, who's no longer there. Johnny Winton was a real estate guy who replaced him. It seems like once the mayor came and Johnny Winton came, there was a whole new vibe. They've got the finances in order and suddenly developers were, you know, eager, eager to come into Miami. I mean, it might be surprise people to know that Miami at one point was corrupt. And uh, once, once they straightened it out to a great extent, then developers would start building buildings. And they did so in mass in 2004, five, six, seven. And you're right. You had build, big buildings, one Miami, which is George Perez and related group, a big developer from, Canada came in and built the Brickle buildings on the Miami River, Brickle on the mm-hmm. river. And all of these are actually built around the Metro Mover. Metro Mover was built in 1984, but no one really used it until recently. Because now, you, I mean, I look out the window and I can see the Panorama Tower by Tibor Hollow. It's the tallest residential tower south of Manhattan. All apartments, mm-hmm. 200 hotel rooms. The other way, I, I'm looking out the window this way and I see the SLS Brickle, which is a, you know, a luxury condo building with hotel units as well. Nice restaurants, great bars, nice scene. There are now, I mean, the population in the Brickle neighborhood, which is like from 5th Street to 15th Street, essentially, has mm. doubled. It went from 15,000 to 35,000 and awful lot of young folks and professionals. And they're not, they're not so much dealing with the traffic. They're walking, taking electric scooters, taking the Metro Mover. It's really, it's really right. fascinating to see it. It's been a very short period of time, and it's really uh, changed a lot. Yeah, one thing that's um, you always associate with Miami as well is the entertainment and the hospitality part. And you mentioned SLS. That's been a brand that came in. I guess SLS has been around like maybe six, seven years. They had SLS South Beach. But mm-hmm. a lot of these projects, I consider them you know, mixed use. Because they'll have the residential component where they'll have their condos or things like that, but they have a hotel component as well. Icon Brickle is another example of that. And the, these projects are very amenity driven with great pools. They have uh, rooftop bars and lounges or uh, downtown restaurants. So the idea of that is 
you know, live there, play there. And even in Brickell, you know, you work, live, work and play in, in the same area. And it seems like that's a trend that's going to just continue to go because land is just so scarce. Do you see that continuing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, hospitality has always been hospitable, right? Hello. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the definition. And so in, in hotels, there's always been this trend to really welcome people, make them feel special and give them a wow experience. And I, I recall in South Beach in 1995, when Ian Schrager opened the Delano, he did something miraculous. It was instead of a hotel as a place to have rooms and sleep and then have a restaurant in the lobby, what he created was a nightlife scene in the lobby that just happens to have hotel rooms on top. And so the party was so so exclusive and so amazing, people would book hotel rooms just to gain access to the party. And I think hoteliers, restaurateurs, nightclub people really paid attention to what Ian Schrager did, you know, obviously from way back to Studio 54 times, but really with the Delano to give this wow experience with everything that they did in the hotels. Now that's 1995, quite some time ago. And what's evolved since then, now condominiums are creating a wow. You're very familiar with the Icon Brickle, and that is a wow mm-hmm. experience. I mean, from the moment you drive in and you see Philippe Stark's sculptures and the, and the artwork and the thematic, the thematic thread that runs through the entire building, there's a wow experience that happens to you as a resident every single day in the same way that you would experience in a very nice hotel. So, and that continues to evolve and in Miami really is setting this trend and the SLS buildings, there's an SLS Brickle at 1300 South Miami and only five blocks away. There's an SLS Lux hotel at eighth and Miami Avenue directly across from Brickle city center. And, you know, I can tell you there's a wow experience when you walk into the, uh, the SLS Lux, you have this Yabu Puschelberg designed space. There's a you know, uh, two swimming pools on the ninth floor where the tennis courts, basketball courts and golf putting, you know, putting green is. And then they have a sky lounge on the 45th and 46th floor. And then then on the 60th floor, there's another swimming pool and barbecue area. And the amenities in condominiums have, are made continue to evolve almost to the sense of having, you know, just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And that's trending into apartments, even office buildings are, are starting to ha- amenitize themselves. It's really fascinating what's happening in commercial real estate. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned apartments and I want to kind of uh, shift to that discussion because when you talk about um, the building in South Florida in that 2005 to 2008 area, mm-hmm. there really weren't that many apartments that I remember in Brickell and Miami Beach being built. They were all condos. Now, granted, a lot of people like myself, you know, we we were renters because mm-hmm. To buy these condos, they were wanting $400,000 for a one bedroom. And it's like, you got to put 20% down. And I don't care if you're a lawyer or you know young dentist or doctor or whatever. If you're mid-20s, you, you don't have $100,000 saved up unless you're getting it from your parents. So a lot of my friends, and even to this day, they were renters. But now I've seen a lot of these just straight apartment projects come in. And they've been, I mean, they're very successful, it seems like. I know there's some on Brickell Avenue, like 7th Street near um, Brickell City Center. They're not cheap at all. It's like a one bedroom's like 2500 but it's very amenity-oriented, just like these condos. Talk about those projects 
there's success in the trend that you're kind of seeing for uh, Miami and those type of projects for apartments. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a great topic. Yeah, it never ceases to amaze me. The amount of uh, multifamily buildings that are being built is incredible. And, you know, I've many of my clients and, and some banks have asked me to underwrite these deals. There's, you know, they call and say, David, you know, I'm looking at investing at this, you know, apartment building in Miami World Center and they're they're modeling at this rent price. Do you think they can get it? And I, you know, put the, you know, the pencil to paper or rather the eyes on the spreadsheet. And, you know, the data doesn't lie. It, it works. People are paying. Young people are finding the money to pay for, I think, very expensive apartments. But here's what they do. They don't have car leases at $350, you know, a month and, and car insurance at $150 a month. That is eliminated from their budget because they're living in these apartment buildings that are just so close to where they need to be, to where they, where they want to go. You know, you used, used to say, but, oh, but you have to have a car. How are you going to get your groceries? Well, <laughs> we now have an app for that, right? There's, um, right. Uh, you know, within an hour, Amazon has uh, already picked your fresh food from Whole Foods and it's on your doorstep. And, and these apartment buildings are prepared for it. I mean, the doorman is there waiting to receive your groceries while you're you know, when Ben Wilson is practicing real estate law, the doorman's collected your groceries for you and they're, they're in your apartment. And, and uh, so these types of things are amazing. So when people are able to shed some of their expenses, like a car and car insurance, and then they, they tend to apply it for a better living situation. And, um, you know, look, at when you're young, you definitely want to hang around with like-minded individuals. You want to have fun. You want to have a good social life. And these apartment developers are really considering this when they're when they're designing and building these apartments. I mean, there's lounges and coffee mm -hmm. shops in the lobbies. I mean, everything is is set up for you. It's really quite amazing. And I, so that trend, I, I believe, will continue. I think they'll continue to to build apartments. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's just there's, you'd be really uh, you'd be floored at some of the, the amenities that are available. Yeah, well, there's this new project. Um, I was familiar with the developer because. We had done some condo projects with them where we were representing the lender, but it's called X Miami. Absolutely. And it's over there, like it's more in the downtown core, but it's like a little bit in. But it's very interesting how they're doing that because you can go in there and rent a one bedroom if you want or two bedroom, three bedroom, whatever. But they also have the option where if you want roommates, they will work with you to, I guess, pair you up with roommates. And it's sort of like this, you may rent a three bedroom or whatever, and you have your roommate and everyone has their own room, but you have like a shared kitchen, a shared living area. And with the millennials, that seems to be something that's very, very popular. And like you said, a lot of these millennials, they don't really care to have a car. Yeah. And so, and then I'll have the, the social lounge and they'll have all these events. So it's like you're living in a neighborhood, which I think is a very cool thing. Right. Yeah. That's a great example, right? The X at the property markets group development. It's really fantastic. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, it is. It, uh, it's adjacent to a Metro Mover stop. They have a great mm -hmm. bar in the lounge. It's a really nice little bar in the in the lobby, I should say, with a coffee shop in the lobby. The the amenities deck has a tanning uh, a tanning area and a big swimming pool. They have an area for a, a DJ to spin on the weekends. You know, they have a an amazing gym. They even have offices that you can use and a conference room that you can use for the some for you know for people who are commuting to work or perhaps even working from home you can have business meetings inside of your apartment building it's the, the x is a, as, as a perfect example that you brought, brought up ben of what's trending 
in apartments. And you know, another apartment project that um, I saw as well was in Wynwood. It was, um, you know, I forgot the name of it, but it's a related group project. I think it's like Midtown 25 or Wynwood 25. I think Wynwood 25. Wynwood, yep. I mean, for those who aren't familiar with Miami, Wynwood is the area where, you know, very popular with artists and design, things like that. But, you know, even going back like five years ago, it was it wasn't really sketchy, but it wasn't upscale like with brickle. It wasn't posh. It was more like rugged and the artists and things like that. But those apartment projects are nice. And from what I'm reading, they're doing very, very well. And it's one where these apartments are like maybe 600 square feet, which for me, I would be like, I need more than 600 square feet, <laughs> yeah. especially with Rodney. But with the millennial crowd that's coming in, they're used to that and people coming down from New York and stuff, they're used to living in smaller quarters and it seems like it's doing very well. I mean, what are you well, seeing? I'm laughing because you're right. 600 sounds like a very small space, but think about your parents' home. If you, you can remember, my parents had a Magnavox television or maybe it was a Zenith and I don't know, but it was, it was a piece of furniture. It was a big, massive thing that was mm. probably, you know, you had to push it against the wall. It had to occupy a big space on the floor and the wall. You know, it was three feet, three feet uh, tall and, you know, you put family photos on it. And then you, that was one part of the, the living room. And then, you know, in the, in the office area, we had a countertop with a telephone on it. And then eventually we had a fax machine on it and an answering machine on. You needed a lot of space. And think about it now. You don't need space to put a television on the floor anymore. It can hang on the wall if you have one at all. Because now you can watch your screen and put it back in your pocket. You can use an iPad or anything. Mm-hmm. But So I think that there's a, a big picture trend towards miniaturization. And I think about it in terms of for- furniture. And if you can think about it in that way, then you can think about it as miniaturization in an apartment. And people figure out how to get by with, with little space in their actual living quarter. I mean, we do it in hotels all the time. We adjust, right? And they just don't right. spend as much time in it. Right. I mean, you've, you've probably, you've heard the phrase, you've probably said it yourself. Hey, I'm going on vacation. I don't care what the hotel room looks like. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be on the beach all the time, or I'm going to be in Vegas or whatever. Who cares what my hotel room looks like? Well, I think for a lot of people, young people, the idea is that just make sure I'm in a great neighborhood where there's plenty to do. I'm close to the action. I'm close to my job. And I I don't, you know, the the apartment uh, size doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this too with, you know, on the the theme of commercial real estate. Most Miami condos and you see a lot of it with the apartments as well, they want the um the residential up top, but they want this ground floor retail. And the idea is, okay, we want it where if you live in the condo or you live in the apartment, you can come down and you can get your you have a restaurant, you have a coffee shop, you can have maybe a little grocery store. So the idea is people being able to get those services close to where they live. Are you seeing that work well? Because my thought is if there's so many condos that are being built, it's like how many retailers can you really find? And like with the grocery stores, those convenience stores are always a lot more expensive than Publix. And I just didn't know, are these developers finding the right tenants or is it a situation where everyone's got a nail salon in there, everyone's got a barber shop, and it's kind of the the same thing. It's a great observation. And I have, I guess, mixed opinions. It works in some places and it doesn't work in others. I think it's, mm-hmm. it, it's if you think about Biscayne Boulevard in Miami in particular, when they built uh, Marquee. 888 Biscayne and 900 Biscayne. Uh, right, over there by the heater. By Miami Heat Arena. And they did that. It was mandated that they put retail space. 
And they had a real challenge because, you know, the people who lived in those buildings weren't enough to support any of the, the retail uh, concepts there. It's really hard to do. Now, when areas are fully dense and there's real pedestrian activity and there's reasons for people to walk up and down the sidewalk independent of the people who live in the buildings, then you've got something. This is what we're seeing on South Miami Avenue in Brickell right now. I mean, it's ridiculous. The, um, again, back to the SLS Lux, which is on the corner of 8th Street and um, South Miami Avenue, there's retail galore. The, the, there's a S bar, there's Katsuya around the corner. There's going to be some, you know, Chipotle and other types of concepts that are on the sidewalk. Then directly across the street, you have Brickell Heights, which is another 700 condominium units in addition to the, the Lux, which is 530 total units. And now, and you've got retail everywhere. And, but having said that, if you're walking on the street at Tuesday at, uh, you know, 1130 at night, there's enough activity. There are people everywhere. They're in, from the hotels, from the apartments, from the condos, from everywhere. And so you can support that. But for the, in my opinion, to mandate that there's retail in every building is not quite, is not really thoughtful because you get in the trap of over-retailing an area that, that can't support it. And then you just have empty spaces and that doesn't help any. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with that area. They call it the arts and entertainment district. It's like 17th street and like first uh, street. It's over by like um, filling station lofts and they have uh, the condo. Uh, Cause I, I bought a unit in there. Um, the filling station is one of them. And then. Yeah. Canvas, Canvas, Canvas Miami. Is, Canvas is new. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Canvas is nice. And the idea there, one of the reasons why I bought, I mean, they have three pools. It's in an area that I consider like an emerging area because I, I just felt Brickle was so overbuilt, but they have like the idea for the re- rooftop restaurant, mm-hmm. but they've got retail on the bottom as well. Well, not only does that building have retail, but filling station loss has downstairs area for Correct. retail, the apartment projects with the mellow group, all have retail around there and Mellow's building like three buildings. And I'm like, I was going around the Mellow building and I was like, okay, there's a barber shop. I think they're having like a convenience store, the yeah. same thing, but it's like the same stuff. And I'm like, you know, as a, an owner in canvas, I'm like, they brought in a restaurant and like a two restaurants, which are kind of unique concepts, but I'm like, okay, do we need another nail salon? I mean, do you need another barber shop? And it's like, if every building's having to do this, there's just not enough demand for it. And those people, yeah. they're not having to, they're having to pay a, a pretty penny to rent there yeah. too. Either that or the developers just kind of giving it away to fill the space. But I don't think they're doing that. There's going to have to be an equilibrium, right? If the barber, barber shop, hair salon, whatever it is, thinks that they're going to, to survive their, their sales are going to justify the rent that they pay, then they go in. If down mm-hmm. the road, their their you know their thesis is incorrect then they they're not going to do well it's incumbent upon smart landlords to be smart and to find get to curate their retail you know to find the right product mix smart developers do this and and experienced developers do this and they they hire experienced brokers to help them with this you need to have complementary retail and you've got to think holistically about the neighborhood and the needs of the neighborhood Right. Mm-hmm. If you're in a neighborhood like the one you just mentioned around Canvas, there there are going to be thousands of new residents in the next, you know, in the next month with all the mellow buildings that are going up there. Those folks are going to demand, you know, more than just haircuts. What is it? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I'm wild guess a liquor store, maybe maybe just an exclusive, you know, white claw store for the millennials. Who knows? 
<laughs> Maybe you could just have a, you know, a, a, instead of Baskin Robbins 31 flavors, you can do a white claw 31 flavors store over there. And, but whatever the concept is, uh, someone's got to get creative and there's a market to be served. And if you have a really good idea, then you need a, you know, you need to negotiate with that landlord and say, Hey, I've got a really great idea. Give me a chance here and I'll, I'll activate this space for you. Um, it'll be an amenity for your renters upstairs. And it'll be a neighborhood amenity and something you can be proud of. So give me a real, you know, give me a real rent number that I can work with and, uh, you know, partner with me on this deal. You know, you're my landlord. I do want to pay you on time every month, but I can't, you know, just throw money away. So help me. And I think smart landlords do that. Yeah. You know, kind of transition a little bit. We've talked about restaurants and things. What are you seeing as far as the trend for restaurants in Miami? I mean, it seems like it's growing. It's doing well, but yet then I also yeah. see, and the joke always was in South Beach, well, it's here today and six months it's closed. Or if it makes it for a year, then that's good. Yeah. <laughs> what are you seeing as far as the restaurants in industry? It's funny. You reminded me of an old Chris Rock stand-up. Grand opening, grand closing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's always been this thing about uh, restaurants and, and, the, and the trendiness of them. And uh, sometimes I see silly concepts where someone, you know, a, a restaurant tour is absolutely certain that everybody wants Lithuanian pastries and, you know, uh, and decide, you know, <laughs> look, there's no one that's got a Lithuanian restaurant in uh, South Beach. We need a Lithuanian. And they spend two million to build it out. And you just kind of shake your head and say, wow, he he built it out so nicely for the next guy. Yeah. I mean, the lesson learned is you just have to have a quality product, a quality product, quality service, and then people will come. And you look at Michael Schwartz's restaurants. He's extremely successful with this. You know, there are a lot of uh, success stories. I mean, Joe Stonecrabs has been humming for decades. You've got to have a unique selling proposition and you've got to keep consistent with it, right? And uh, and we do have success stories. It seems like in Miami, the new uh, newer restaurants, it's more than just the restaurant. It's all about the ambiance and the experience. I, I could think of like, um, you know, they have... Um, that Marion restaurant has been pretty popular Beautiful uh, in Marybrookle Village. And it's, you know, it's, it's got good food, but it's also like they have the DJ in there and they have, I mean, a very high end experience. Of course, Meat Market down in Miami Beach has always been a popular place, but it's always, you know, they have the DJ and the ambiance mm-hmm. and even like these taco places that pop yeah. up like Bodega from, yeah, no kidding. gosh, from Keith Menon's group, uh, Menon Hospitality. Yeah. It's like, it's not just the, or Katsua and all the Dave Gretman things, Swan, all that stuff. It's like, unless you're like fast food or like the daily, like a lunch place, which I personally love, mm-hmm. it's like, you got to be delivering this experience because that's what the people in South Florida are expecting. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I haven't had the Bodega tacos in two days, but yeah, yeah they're good. Really good. you're right. So there's always been a kind of a scene. There's been a big scene element to the dinners. And I don't think that changes all that much. I, you know, funny story of, about uh, Grutman's um, Komodo restaurant. It's in the, the financial district. And so I was having a business lunch, you know, everyone in there is men and women in suits and ties and, you know, having a wonderful, great food. I love that place. In the middle of the day, it's uh, Wednesday at uh, one o'clock, and I looked over and I saw a table of maybe eight or nine pretty girls, maybe aged nineteen to twenty-two ish, not very old, you know, young young people, all in a big booth taking selfies. And I'm like, "What the heck? What's that?" And it turns out that the you know I, I said something to the server. He said, "Oh yeah, yeah, they are uh, they're big fans of the Kardashians, so they wanted to eat at Komodo." <laughs> and so I thought, "Wow, that's that's really something you don't see every day—a table of nine young girls in the middle of a business l- lunch place taking selfies." 
that may have been part of their model dinner program where they get a, a discount, whereas you and I go to try to eat, and they're like, uh, we don't think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't get very many discounts. It's a, quite a shame. It is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, but God, I embrace it. I think it's a really wonderful place. And, and, and you know, when you do have these dinners and your your colleagues come down from New York or, you know, investors come from around the world and they come to Miami and they, they see this, they, they fir- at first they say they love the fact that there's actually business being uh, conducted, and then they love the, like the icing on the top that there's actually a show going on as well so <laughs> it appeals to a lot of people it's not uh it's not your normal city yeah but back to what you said a minute ago ben about trends here's something that i think is emerging and we're probably going to see a lot more of it when you started talking about you know the costs of rent and the real estate and we're, and as we start to think about restaurants there's a ma- there's a, obviously a major trend uh, everyone knows about grubhub and and DoorDash and all of the delivery food that's happening and how it seems like more and more people are delivering food. The big trend is uh, this ghost kitchen idea. And uh, in San Francisco and LA, there's been significant amount of venture capital money supporting these. And and uh, we're starting to see that in Miami as well. And what that is, is a restaurant tour may have a front-facing restaurant. I can think of you know some like Bodega Taco, for instance, maybe mm-hmm. would be a decent candidate, right? They have a very small restaurant space and exposure, but what they could do, not saying they are, but it's a, just to explain the concept, they could have a kitchen nearby, but off the beaten path where the rent is very low. They can have, you know, create, a, have a kitchen, offsite kitchen where they can process their to-go orders. They put this kitchen offsite, pay very little rent, they have a much more efficient operation with a bigger space so they can you know, do a better job of preparing the fresh food. Moped drivers can get in and out quickly. They have a whole delivery system. You hit your app, you order up some of those tacos. The moped is uh, you know, at your front desk you know, in, you know, very quickly and affordably. So that ghost kitchen trend is really, really quite amazing. You know, that might be something for um, some of these like commercial areas in the in the bottom of the condos as well because it, I mean I know that there's a place called the Daily that I I frequent whenever I'm in Miami. Mm-hmm. It's over there on Biscayne Boulevard yeah. like around 21st Street. Yep, exactly. And you know there are a bunch of condos around there as well, but their food is really good and it's really affordable, but they have a ton of moped drivers that are always yeah. just delivering their food and they have an operation in Miami Beach as well mm-hmm. and they are always very very busy with the deliveries. And they're inside stuff. And I think it's like you said, uh, like let's say you're at the office. I mean, I always didn't have time to go out of the office and eat lunch because of the traffic per se. And I'd be like, oh, and plus I got a bill and all, all that stuff. So I would love it when you have the delivery people come and you know deliver my lunch. Right. I eat it at my desk. I don't waste that kind of time. So hopefully I can um, leave earlier. And you know, this whole thing with the app and stuff, it's only going to continue. So I think that's a very good point. You know, and another interesting trend has been in the retail world where like when you and I were growing up, it was a big deal to go to the mall. <laughs> and now that has significantly changed with the world of Amazon and online shopping. But yet in Miami, we've they've built two really big retail projects in the Brickell City Center in, da- in the Brickell downtown area. I know they're redoing Cocoa Walk in Coconut Grove, and they've got the Miami World Center over by the American Airlines Arena, I guess, in transit, 
what are you seeing in the retail world in Miami with, oh. with these projects and, and other projects that are underway? Yeah, right, Ben. Well, but wait, there's more. There's We got Lincoln uh, Road. Yeah, well, they're redeveloping and adding on at Ball Harbor Shops. They're adding more retail space at Aventura Mall. There's off to the west part of Miami-Dade County, the northwest corner, is the American Dream Mall, which will be- Named after Dusty Rhodes, the wrestler? It must be. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it must be. (laughs) Brother. Uh, Yeah, so they, uh, you know, the the Mall of the Americans of Minnesota, that big shopping mall in Edmonton, it's the same group, Triple Five. Oh, that's right, yeah. They've got one in New Jersey and- uh, and now this this shopping mall, and, us, and there's another one in, called Dania Point just off of I-95. Uh, yeah, familiar with that. I mean, there's a lot of new retail going. So I really do believe that, you know, the the word of retail's demise is, you know, it's premature. I, I really do believe that retail is alive and it's well in the right types of retail. We're seeing it's, and again, it's back to experiential. You know, it's you've got to have a good experience in doing what you're going to do, and if you can accomplish that, then your mall's not going to be dead. I just as a, you know, I don't know what I was doing, but I decided I wanted to to see what the heck is going on with Sears. You know, they there's, there's all the hubbub of these bankrupt Sears, and I w- thought about how we could reposition. When I took a tour through a Sears, I just spent about an hour walking the aisles and walking around. It's no wonder Sears is dead. I mean, that was just a painful experience. I it was horrible. And so you can see why they might have some trouble. Uh, on the other hand, you can walk into retail centers, even, I mean, look, even in Miami, there's a, a touristy place called Bayside Marketplace. It's uh, mm-hmm. right in downtown Miami. And it's, uh, most locals don't go there. They just, cause you know, it's a place where, you know, it's where people go before their cruise ship departs and and, and uh, when their cruise ship comes back. And But I got to tell you, it's an experience. It's a, and if you walk through Bayside, the place is packed always, always, 365 days a year. They've got a little band playing. It's a, There's a marina there. It doesn't appeal to everyone. It's certainly the anti-Brickle City Center. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no Saks Fifth Avenue there. Agent Provocateur is not there. But, the, the you know, the, but the place is, it's, there's an experience that attracts people. And when you get that down, then retail is just fine. I tell you, Design District was a head scratcher for me. Everyone says, oh, yeah, it was so obvious now. But, you know, that was the hot place to be in 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, except for it wasn't. It was never, it, it really came to fruition recently. And my gosh, C- Craig Robbins' vision is extraordinary. He definitely has a long view and he created something that's absolutely spectacular. And, uh, you know, and when you do that, your retail is going to thrive. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about the design district is, um, I mean, restaurants like Dave Gretman going in with Swan and those mm-hmm. restaurants, I mean, they're, they're doing very, very well, but I was always curious about how the retail did because I went in some of the men's stores and the suits were just a paltry, you know, $3,000, <laughs> This and that. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think I can go to Aventura Mall. I'll go to Nordstrom's. I'll pay 800 for mine or 600 or, or something like that. But it's like, you know, and I heard a rumor, and I don't know if it's true or not, but that the venues were looking at it. They just wanted a presence in Miami. It was important to have a presence in Miami. And whether or not they made um, a profit was kind of secondary because they used it more of as a market. So when these people are going to New York and other areas, they're like, okay, I'm familiar with that and I'm buying there. But I mean, do you have any idea how those stores are doing? 
I guess they must be doing well enough. Well, yeah, it's interesting that you say that. So two comments. First of all, yeah, so you didn't buy the $3,000 suit, but somebody did. Somebody probably came in and bought two of them. And the markups on suits are pretty high. So, you know, two suits pays the rent. So if you mm-hmm. could, you know, so imagine if you only need to sell two suits a week, you're going to do, you, you know, you're doing pretty well. So those stores, they're not high volume stores. Of course, they're not high volume stores, but they mm-hmm. don't, they don't have to be. So that's really good for them. And when you start to think about, let's see, I'm, I started in the business in 1998, and I'm pretty sure that it's been every year since then. The Ball Sh- Harbor Shops have been the number one uh, retail shopping center in sales per square foot in the United States of America. It's just always mm-hmm. been that way. It's always number one is Ball Harbor Shops. Number two is usually uh, the shops at Caesars in, in Las Vegas. Number three is Aventura Mall. Mm-hmm. You know, these are South Florida attracts people year round. If they're, they're no, Dolphin Mall does well. And the Dolphin Mall does. Yeah. And Dadeland Mall does well. Miami just doesn't get many snowstorms. And, um, and so, <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, you know, people fly into Miami quite often and they do a lot of shopping when they do. So, you know, I, yeah, I feel, I feel great about the, the retail. The other thing that you had mentioned was, is there is a truth to the, to the thought that these businesses just want to get in to have a presence. You know, I used to hear that about Lincoln Road. And, you know, I've talked to every retailer I've ever talked to is, no, no, we, we, we're here to make money. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a nice bonus that we're able to have a storefront that, you know, shows the world that we're here. But we most certainly are here to make money. And, and we do. We definitely want to negotiate leases with the idea that we need to pay the rent and we need to have a profit. We need to be able to pay for labor. We need to make a profit. So stores like Apple stores for sure do, in fact, they, I mean, they, they absolutely desire a presence. That's why in, you know, Brickell mm. City Center, they're on the corner with a big Apple logo facing probably the busiest intersection in, in downtown Miami and why on Lincoln Road, their storefront is so, you know, ostentatious. It's just really out, you know, it's really forward facing I mean, for sure. They don't skimp on the, the decor of the stores, but they do, in fact, plan to, to make them enough money to, to pay that back. Well, that store is always packed. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it certainly is. You know, and one of the things that we've talked about, you know, we talked about with hospitality and restaurants and apartments and all this stuff is the impact of transit. Now, you know, Miami is such a dense area. I mean, whether you're in Brickell or South Beach or Coconut Grove or Doral, the Gables, wherever, but you mentioned the fact about so much of this development happening around transit areas. And talk about the success of that in South Florida. Uh, Brickell City Center is a, a good example of that. And talk about your, um, like, what you're seeing as far as trends. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Transit's a big deal. It's a real big deal. And so in downtown and the connectivity of the metro rail to the airport is important. Um, the fact that you can get from, uh, you know, deep in the south of Miami-Dade County to downtown and only you know, 15 minutes and $2 is a big deal. The bright line is getting a lot of headlines and it should, it's, it is a game changer. I'll tell you, Douglas Elliman just opened two more offices. Uh, we had an office opening in, in Palm beach, uh, a week ago, Thursday, we had an opening in Manalapan this Thursday and I attended them and, and my colleagues all talk about, you know, we are, we'll come down to Miami. Let's do our holiday parties there. Just make it close to the bright line. Okay, great. I, I said, okay, we'll try to pick some place in the middle. Maybe we meet in Fort Lauderdale where you guys can drive down and we can drive up and everybody from Fort Lauderdale is happy. And, 
And they said, no, 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 let's skip Fort Lauderdale. We'd rather jump on the bright line and go down into Brickell and um, have a great steak dinner. And, you know, and then we can just uh, be get marinated and then jump right on the train and, and, <laughs> and return safely home. So, and now I'm talking about the social of, uh, aspects of the bright line to the north. But I also um, speak to business people who, you know, who have families and they like to be north or that, you know, perhaps their partner is, is working in Palm Beach County, whereas they're working in downtown and suddenly the bright line becomes a good option for a business person to move to, you know, quickly and efficiently get to get downtowns. To, the, the bright line connects downtown Miami, downtown Fort Lauderdale and downtown West Palm Beach. Now, right. uh, the plan is to connect uh, Orlando by the end of next year. It's a big deal. It's it's fast. It's uh, it's effective. It's comfortable. You know, you can sit down and work rather than you know drive in your car and you know uh, curse. I know a lot of lawyers like it because, I mean, like you mentioned, um, let's say you're you know at a law firm in downtown Miami and you've got court hearings in Fort Lauderdale or West Palm Beach. The the stops for Brightline are not too far from the courthouse, and then you just walk if it's a nice day or you Uber. I mean, I was seeing where I guess Aventura is wanting a stop, which would make a lot of sense for that mall area. I know Boca is pushing for it. Even in my development, you know, in Brevard County, I mean, Brevard County is, we're behind as far as, you know, trends for what you see in South Florida, but it's a different demographic completely Mm -hmm. because it's more single family homes and stuff. But even um, our port, our um, Port Canaveral at Cape Canaveral, they're really pushing for that connection to be there to go to Orlando because of the cruise industry. And the idea is we want to be able to to have that where someone comes on off the cruise ship and they can head straight to Orlando and or the people in Brevard, they can go and shop right. and whatever. And you don't have to worry about this driving and hauling all that. It's just a whole lot more convenient. And it takes a lot of stress out of your life. Yeah, that's for sure. And well, so also worth mentioning is uh, Richard Branson's Virgin Trains has uh, acquired mm-hmm. the Bright Line. And uh, there's also plans to take the Bright Line train into the port of Miami, which is, you know, the world's largest cruise ship port. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, that's a big deal. And so, and in Virgin Voyages, I think is their cruise ship company, is also building a terminal there. So now Virgin Trains and Virgin Voyages will connect with the train. And then presumably you could take the Metro, <laughs> the Metro Rail to the airport and take a Virgin airplane to, you know, to the UK or whatever. So, yeah, it's it's phenomenal. The impact of transportation for people and the and the transportation for cargo are hugely impactful to the economy in South Florida, and it certainly has a great ripple effect north uh, to Brevard County. I was I was yeah. just pitched a massive industrial development uh, happening up in uh, Martin County, but it's on heavy rail. It's you know two hundred plus acres of land for uh, on a rail line which is, um, you know, what these big industrial or these big warehouses uh, need. One thing we didn't talk about real quick, and then we'll, we're going to go on to our 2020 outlooks, is we didn't talk about the world of office development. And uh, speak about that because, it's as you know, me being a lawyer, we're always used to going to the office. We have a lot yeah. of, like you said, banks in Miami, a lot of development. Sure. But there's been this trend, too, recently of things like WeWork yeah. and Workscapes and that. And the other thing, too, is... You've got a lot of companies 
they, they allow people to work from yeah. home. So that way, you know, if you've got families, especially with lawyers, it makes a lot of sense for lawyers to be able to work from home. So what's the trend uh, you're seeing right now or the status yeah. you're seeing right now as far as office development in South Florida? Oh, terrific. Yeah. Well, you know, just stepping back to the days when the internet was, uh, was first disrupting everything, I recall people predicting that now with the internet, no one will ever come to the office. Why would you ever come to the office if you can, you know, email and you can, you know, exchange documents? I mean, the truth of the matter is, is I think people do like to be around people. I think we're social animals. I think people need to get together. And I've worked remotely and I've worked in offices and I find the synergies, the ability to leverage information and think about ideas and groups of people together face to face where you can gauge reactions and, and body language is invaluable. So my personal opinion and preference is to work in an office and I love offices and I don't think that they're going to go anywhere. The data is showing us that office development is still happening. Things are changing in the way that offices are developed. And and it goes back to that thing we spoke about earlier, the, uh, the amenitization. There's an office building across the way here that that's creating this lounge and all of these like amazing amenities, a fitness center, 600 Brickle has a wonderful fitness center and, and, you know, and all types of amenities that, that are available for everyone in the building to use. And so I don't think the office building is going anywhere. We're certainly building more in Miami, I think as a result, mostly of the, of a massive the influx of population, our population continues to grow a lot of immigration from New York and, and California and uh, internationally as well. So having said all that, I mean, the, the, the sharing idea is fantastic. I mean, we've always had these you know, these co-working spaces like Regis, you know, the Regis offices where you, know, you could mm-hmm. rent a temporary, you could, everyone would share a receptionist and share a printer and share the coffee machine. That's always been going on. I think WeWork stepped into the space and revolutionized it on a, I think mostly on a design standpoint and a technology standpoint, making it easier to rent the conference room or, you know, or book a, a book an appointment or they just figured out a way to help monetize and make the space most efficient. And we work got, you know, I mean their spaces are absolutely gorgeous. My general take on WeWork and the and the bad news that's uh, upon them now is I don't think they were as great as everyone said they were a year ago and I don't think it's as bad as everyone says it is today. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, um, you know, with Miami, we've always had um new emerging areas and stuff because Areas can get built out uh, very quickly. What are some of the new and emerging areas in Miami that you think are hot, hot points for investors and developers right now? Well, yeah. So I'm, um, again, a big fan of transportation and density. And I think the quality of life is is great when you live in a, in a place where there are a lot of people. Those neighborhoods are safer. There's more offerings available to you. So the new trends or the new places that I think a lot of people are speaking about are um, Alapata. Little Little River area, those places are 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 getting better. The thing is, they've come from you know the bar has been fairly low there, so any improvement is a pretty strong percentage improvement, right? Mm-hmm. But I think those are great; those are interesting places to look at. I'll admit, I was probably wrong on Winwood. I didn't uh, I didn't see Winwood as a. I mean, Winwood is absolutely explosive, and it's done really, really, really well. And I would have I had not I did not predict that. The upzoning in Wynwood really did change the game, and it helps to have the ability to build tall 
And until you have that, then the density, sometimes the density doesn't work in these up and coming neighborhoods. And a lot of up and coming neighborhoods have been up and coming neighborhoods for decades. The key is, you know, right. I think you, the pioneers take the arrows, they say. So I think you, you want to wait yeah. until areas get proven before you start stepping in there. But one thing that's absolutely proven is Brickle is built up. The, you know, the only buildings that can be built in Brickle now have to be very tall to make any economic sense from a land cost. So necessarily the action is going to build out, right? Mm-hmm. And that goes, that's the same for everything in South Florida where, I mean, Miami is uniquely situated between two national parks. It's the only city in the United States that's situated between two national parks. We have the Biscayne National Park to the east. We have the Everglades National Park to the west. And you just can't build outside of this envelope. And so the trend is, the trend is don't wait to buy Miami, buy Miami and wait. Because it's, yeah. I don't know about timing the market exactly, but if we had the same conversation 10 years from now, I can almost assuredly tell you that the that things will be, the prices will be up, things will be better. We'll be discussing new trends. But one thing's for sure is people will still be enjoying Miami. You know, one area that's, um, you know, kind of taking that approach of buy now and wait for the trend is the downtown Miami area because there's that developer, Moishe Mana. I um, hope I said his name right. Of course, he's done Mana Winwood and been very mm-hmm. successful. But he was buying a ton of property in downtown Miami. And for those who aren't familiar with downtown Miami, I mean, there are a lot of areas that it's it's not very pleasant and it definitely needs to be re, redone. And he's planning, I guess, at some point to re redo all that because I don't think, you know, our downtown in Miami, to me, is not near as nice as like downtown West Palm Beach, downtown right. Los Olas, Fort Lauderdale. But, you know, it's with all that yeah. business there, if someone has the money to go in and bring in the nice stuff, I don't see why it wouldn't do well at all because it's right in the middle of all this transit. You've got all these residents uh, near the area. So yeah. any word about what what the oh, yeah, status great, of that that's is? That's a great point. Yeah. Don't forget the college, uh, Miami-Dade College is, oh, that's is right. one of the largest sure. colleges in the United States of America. It's massive and, and uh, a lot of students mm-hmm. there. And you've got the federal courthouse, county courthouse. There's a lot of uh, lot of activity. In, and when you say downtown, you're referring to like the flag, Flagler which is Flagler area, yeah. yeah. The Flagler Street is like Zero Street. Every address in the North Flagler has an N in it, and everything South has an S. And yeah, so that it, the Central Business District is yeah, it feels so neglected, and it feels like um, it needs a lot of work. And Moshimana has purchased all of this land, and you know, some people are grateful for it. Others cr- uh, are critics, and the critics say that uh, hey, yeah, he bought all this land and he's sitting on it, and he's not activating it. So now you have all these, you know, empty storefronts and empty buildings that just sit there and do nothing but create, you know, shelter, you know, they create, you know, a shelter for the uh, vagrants. And um, to that point, it's sad, but, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't think, you know, Moshimana has, uh, he certainly put his money uh, where his mouth is. Um, he's sitting there. And then the, 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 I guess the question is, when does he start? accepting yeah or doing something he might be in a situation too where he has a couple of key tenants that you know they're he's waiting for those leases to run out and um, just start fresh but um, I, I do hope they can redevelop that area because i mean generally biscayne boulevard is is through the downtown area it's it's developed pretty well right but it's like once you get back to flagler and you know enter it's it needs some love now that's why i like the ex miami project because i thought you know that 
is bringing a lot of life into that area. Right. By the courthouse area, it's you know developed. But you've got a lot of these really old buildings that just need to be upgraded substantially. But um, you know, we'll see what happens. That's true. And but the good news is the ones that Moshimana doesn't own, the other ones are for sale. So give me a call. And um, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and you're right. And you're right. The uh, the X Miami is absolutely terrific, and it's and it should be mentioned that. Uh, X Miami is a, a PMG, a, a property management group project. They also own the mm-hmm. land in front, which is the future site of a Waldorf Astoria hotel and condos. It'll be Miami's first Waldorf uh, Astoria, and that's a real big deal. That's uh, that building; it's gorgeous. I've seen the architectural plans. It is absolutely phenomenal building. So, if you can imagine, you know, being on the fiftieth floor of that building, looking over the park. Over looking over the museum park, over Bayside, you know the cruise ship port, and just watching the sunrise over the Biscayne Bay, it's a phenomenal building, and I think that is a game changer. You know, and just and just two blocks south of Flagler Street is the Aston Martin condo building, also on the Miami River. These are really high end properties in the Central Business District. I think you know, in twenty four months or thirty months, thirty months from now, Moshi should probably get going. Or other people will because it's uh, yes, you're exactly right. The central business district is due. And um, before we transition into 2020 outlooks, what about the Miami World Center? That's this you know big mixed use project across from the Miami Heat Arena, like Seventh and Eighth Street, Ninth Street. I know they op- opened some new apartments there that look pretty nice. I know I think their condos have been selling pretty good. What about the retail going on there? Well, look, it's it's going to take some time, but man, I really really take my hats off to the developers there. I mean, they were uh, assembling that land. I mean, I think back as far back as two thousand and five or four, and they just did a you know they 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 had acquired it in like like Walt Disney. You know, they had different LLCs and they put all of this land together, and now suddenly they have got you know a four billion dollar project in the heart of an urban center. You know, it's just a, it's an, it's an incredible accomplishment. And so they're doing a really great job there. The retail is going to fill in. They've, uh, you know, they changed their model uh, from an enclosed shopping mall with a Bloomingdale's and a Macy's as anchors. That's no longer part of that plan, but now they're, they've, they've turned it to a high street retail idea. And I think it's going to be fantastic. They're, uh, mm-hmm. it's really, yeah, you, you mentioned it. It's 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 right between the bright line, as we've been talking about, and the American Airlines Arena and the museums. So there's you know, four blocks that will be now dense, walkable, beautiful, amazing, amazing real estate. And uh, well, yeah, hats off to them. It's it's really amazing. They just announced, or, or I should say, broke ground on a Citizen M Hotel and World Center a couple of days ago. So. You know, uh, there's a Turkish developer who's building a really tall condo in there. When those people get in there, they always say that uh, retail follows rooftops, mm-hmm. you know. And so in our case, we, we talk about condos and density. These condos are 450, 600, 700 uh, residents each or units, I should say. So maybe there's two person, an average of 1.7 people per unit. I don't know. And uh, but it's a lot of people in one area. And then the hotels bring a different type of person who comes in for three days or five days and they come to party, shop, or they come for business and they shop and they, you know, they eat and they, they you know, they drink. They, they So the retail in Miami World Center is, uh, will be phenomenal. It's starting slowly but surely, but, it, uh, you know, when, again, from five, five years from today, it'll be absolutely uh, phenomenal. 
Yeah. Well, and you know, like you mentioned, I mean, those, those projects take so much time because you've got to try to get your tenants in place and then you've got to have your build out and that's always going to take a few years. So it, people think, well, it should just happen quickly and it's just not how it happens, especially with these monster projects like that. And you've got to get your contractors involved. So it's always, a, and of course, Miami's usually uh, behind in, in construction, but at the end of the day, that's just kind of what happens in the world of real estate stuff just comes up and you got to deal with it. Yeah, You're right. In an app driven world, there's no one click uh, lease or one or one, yeah. one click negotiation. Before we get into the 2020 outlooks, since you've been in the real estate world for 20 years, you know, you've seen a lot of developers come and go. You've seen a lot of developers come and stay for a long, long time. And the same thing with people who want to get into the industry, either, whether as a developer or a realtor. And since you've been also in a lot of a lot of mentoring projects and stuff. What tips do you have for people who are looking to get into the real estate field as developers or realtors? And what are your tips for people who are currently in it and successful to stay successful? Wow. Great question. Let's see. Tips. Let's start with, uh, hmm. I'll start with people for those who want to get into the real estate business and or stay and, and be successful in the real estate business. And I think, I think you really have to have a passion for it. I mean, you really have to love it. It's, um, the, you know, the truth of the matter is it's not so hard to get a real estate license. It's quite simple. It's a, it's a pretty easy test. You can do it in one week. It's easier to get a real estate license than a license to cut hair, I think. And, but that certainly does not guarantee any level of success whatsoever. Once you get that real estate license, you absolutely positively need to continue to learn. You need to learn, not only do you need to learn your market, you need to learn the craft, you need to learn, you need to learn sales, you need to learn a certain amount of zoning, you need to learn a certain amount of the, you know, the government, the way that the government works in your locale. You should, and the, I think the best tip is start with a laser-like focus and learn Figure out what it is that you love, learn it inside and out. And then from there, you have a jump off point where you can start to branch out and do other things. I've seen, I've trained, I've, I've trained many realtors, commercial and, and otherwise, where they uh, tend to be scattered and, and, you know, they'll jump in the car and go show a property, you know, no matter what, you know, oh, I've got a new client in Jacksonville, but Jacksonville, you you're in Miami. Why are you going to Jacksonville? Well, that's what they asked me about it. They wanted to know how the market was. I said, but you don't know anything about Jacks. Well, I can learn. Yeah, sure you can. But if you become the expert in your field, in your specific area, you become a, an expert at everything about your area, then you will certainly be able to feed your feed yourself, you know, feed your family and be able to feed your curiosities about other places. Because you can, in fact, layer knowledge from one city to another, and you can certainly apply lessons from one place to another, but you better, you damned well better know your, your starting place, and you have to do that with a laser-like focus. Right, and it's, uh, you know, such a competitive field, too. And, you know, one thing that um, I kind of noticed, and of course, you know, we kind of joke about it in Miami as well, I remember the first time I went into a sales office in, in Miami, and I, I came uh, for a condo office. And, um, you know, I was like doing this LLM program in Miami and I was like, should I be a realtor? Should I be a lawyer? Cause I'd always trained to be a lawyer, but I'm like, it seems like it'd be more fun to be a realtor. <laughs> I went into the sales office and it was like full of women who looked like Sophia Vergara. <laughs> 
And I met with the sales director and was talking to him. And you know, this guy was a good looking guy too. So it was like, you know, it's almost like you need to look like a model to, to be in there. And he was just straight up honest with me. And he's, and I was like, uh, so what does it take to be a real good realtor? And he said, honestly, you, you got to stay in the gym. You got to be smoking hot. You got to compete with that. And I was like, well, you know, the thing about being a lawyer is my salary goes up the older and uglier I get. <laughs> oh, you're a good looking guy, Ben. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, the person looks like Sophia Vagar, yeah, right. Chris Hemsworth, or Joe Minchin, whatever, yeah. or David Restainer. <laughs> yeah. but, right. But the thing about it is, though, is you know as well as I do, you've seen tons of people who come in and they're like, oh, well, I'm a model part-time or yeah. this or that. And they get and they're like, well, I'll be a real estate agent, yeah. but they don't study the craft. Yeah. And I know a ton of realtors who they're very attractive people, but they know their stuff yeah. and they succeed. Yeah. And then there are others that think, oh, well, I'll be able to get by because I'm of my looks or whatever. Right. And it just doesn't it doesn't it cut doesn't, it because right. there are too many talented people in the field for you to to not know your stuff right. and continue to grow. Well, I could tell you at Douglas Solomon, the residential realtors, while there are an awful lot of very good looking ones, there are an awful lot of really good, smart and good looking ones. And I mean, when I mean smart, like I know my commercial real estate and I don't know residential real estate so much. I refer by a, I had a commercial client who was uh, selling a home on a, on a South Beach Island. I referred it to one of our residential guys and we came together for an introduction and just listening to his knowledge you know, of the linear feet on the water and, and the, the comparable that the, you know, the elevation of the property compared to other properties that are sold and his just command of every single property in that market, his command of, of the flow of the home and the way that the residential home was built was just astonishing to me. I thought, wow, this guy really, really knows his stuff. And it's, it's exactly why I don't do residential real estate. I know a lot about the big picture, but the, the finite details of, of a residential home you have, are better left into the hands of someone who really, really knows their stuff. Yeah. So, all right, so let's talk about the developers and stuff. Let's say someone's wanting to get into development in Miami. Is it one of these things where Miami is so expensive that it's like, hey, you know what? If you're going to start in Miami, you've got to start like, you know, way down south or maybe you need to consider Broward or something. Because, I mean, I've I've seen some developers where they're like, they're coming up to Brevard County now where our project is. Because it's so much cheaper and they're like in the hotel industry or whatever. And they're like, look, we're doing Fairfield ends mm -hmm. and we can't make the numbers work in Miami, but we can make it work in Brevard or maybe they're going to Tampa or something like oh, yeah. that. Yeah, great. It's a great question. I mean, the, the tip for any developers coming to Miami is if you're coming from far away, you really need to put together a great team, not a good team, a great team, because you're, you've just stepped into you know, you've just stepped into, you know, the shark tank, so to speak. You, you stepped into an area that is extremely competitive and you may have been the best developer in Bogota or the best developer even in, you know, in, in Philadelphia. But when you step into Miami, it's a different world. And if you don't set up a great team or the right team, then there's just so many pitfalls. So that's the advice to the developer. What you're saying about some developers going north, well, yeah, you, you have a bigger margin for error right? In Miami, when you're developing and if you, every, you look at the, the good news is this, we have Excel spreadsheets, we have models, we have Argus, we have all these different tools that we can use to model a, a development, a project. But when you get into Miami, the people who've done it before or repeatedly, those are the people who are able to really, really 
they're able to get the best prices from contractors. They're able to get the most reliable contractors. They're able to close the road when they need to. They're able to, you know, they're able, they know how to do all those little fine things that can cost you days, weeks, or months. And if you're new to the area, it doesn't matter how good your spreadsheet or your model is. If you don't know the subtleties about your neighbors, and, you know, if you don't know the subtleties about your commissioner, if you don't know the subtleties about the way that, you know, the way that the downtown development authority works, then you're a, a significant disadvantage. You have to have a great team. So yeah. I'll tell you something. Another interesting thing. I, um, Douglas Elliman opened offices in, uh, over in St. Petersburg, and I took a trip over to Tampa and was getting a nice tour of some of the, the nice developments over there that we're looking at. And, I was taken to a development on the waterfront. The developer was from Fort Lauderdale. The master developer was from Fort Lauderdale. They had sold one of the apartment buildings to Lennar from Miami. The other apartment, luxury apartment uh, buildings to Related from Miami. The architect there was Kobe Carp from Miami. And, and that was an epiphany. This is only a few months ago. But I realized, yes, developers are, a lot of the the big Miami developers are, in fact, heading to the West Coast. They're heading to the North. Alan Morris has uh, just sold a big apartment building in St. Petersburg. It's difficult. To, there's so much action and so much activity in Miami. It's easy to forget that there's so many, there are opportunities all throughout South Florida, which is why I'm really thrilled that we're, you know, we've opened some offices to the North and, and to the West part of Florida. You get to see bigger perspectives and you, and you, you realize that you can take the, you know, good developers in, in Florida and in, in Miami with the sharp pencils and the ability to, to get things done can transfer into those places. But believe me, if I were David Restainer in Tampa, I'd say, make sure you get a good local team in Tampa. Yeah. And, you know, uh, just from the law st- uh, side of it, you know, we, when I was in, in private practice at, um, at Shuts and Bowen, we'd have a lot of clients come down who might be referrals from New York or wherever. And um, we may be local counsel for it, but they always wanted to work with um, the local land use lawyers. And that was so important because the local land use lawyers know those commissioners and this and that. And it's like, you can't be a land use lawyer from Chicago thinking you can come down to Miami or Fort Lauderdale and get done what you need to get done. Because at the end of the day, it's about Uh, relationships and connections. Now your real estate transaction lawyers, they can doctor the deal in Chicago generally just as well as they can in Miami, but it's, you know, they may have the local counsel for a few things, but like you said, having your, your land use lawyers, your, your general contractors, your real estate sales and leasing team. I mean, they just got to be local because they know the ins and outs. They know the trends and you know, as well as I do, I mean, the way Uh, people are in Miami is completely different than the demographic in Tampa or Orlando or Jacksonville, or let's say you're going into a a high development area like a Nashville or a Texas. I mean, they're completely different. Yeah. It's a brave new world in Miami. Yeah. Well, so we're now into December and, you know, everyone's winding down and everything. Uh, One of the big things we did not talk about in Miami, it's a huge in my opinion, commercial real estate driver is Art Basel. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you mean winding down? Who's winding down? It's we're, we're winding up. It's well, I get well. I'll say this: it's one of those things in Art Basel. It's the first week in in December, and it's like a right. week where everybody is insane with traffic and all that. But then, like the week after that, it's like people are dead. Yeah, that's true. But, um, but kind of talk about that because that has been around for several years in Miami, and it's you know brings such a high economic development, but it brings a lot of uh, real estate people to town too. 
Oh, and also yeah. helped uh, Winwood emerge. That's for sure. Art Basel is like it's indescribable. I'll do my best. It's it's an amazing art fair uh, originated in Basel, Switzerland, and um, they selected Miami uh, Beach for its diversity. It's and the convention center, this the weather, and all of these things. And now it's it's grown into this like amazing, amazing monster. And um, the genus or the, the the focus of the show is in the Miami Beach Convention Center. It's been going on for over a decade, and now it's in Hong Kong, Miami, and in Basel. But the main show is only, I don't know, it's, it's probably a quarter of what Art Basel is about. There, there are uh, side satellite shows all over the place, Design Miami. There's, there's scope. Uh, there's just too many to even name, but they, they've, they're on the site of the former Miami Herald building in downtown. They're in Wynwood. They're in Design District. There's pop-ups everywhere. If you have vacant storefront, uh, chances are someone's called you to say, ask if they could turn it into an art gallery. They're taking containers and putting containers on the beach and turning those into art galleries. I have a, a hotel client who rents out his entire hotel. A company comes in and transports all of the furniture out of the hotel, puts it into a storage. Then they turn each hotel room into a show. And an artist come in and rent the hotel rooms for the week, display their art. And then at the end of Basel, they, they go back to the storage unit and fill the hotel back up again. Wow. It's just really, really hard to describe how important it is in the arts. And it's certainly important for our hotels. It's important for our restaurants. It's important for, uh, certainly important for real estate. We do, Douglas Elliman sponsors the Collector's Lounge at uh, the convention center and has for many years. And it's a way for us to showcase uh, some of our luxury condominium developments. And we have like a a Renzo Piano design building, uh, Jean Nouveau, uh, Rem Koolhaas. We have so many really wonderful architects and really wonderful buildings and certainly many, many in Manhattan too. So people will come from all around the world to buy art at Art Basel. And so we're winding up for that. Uh, yeah, track. winding up. We're winding up for that. We're, we're taking our vitamins, that's for sure, because it's only a, a couple weeks away. And then guess what, Ben? After, you know, a couple months after Basel, then we have a Super Bowl coming our way. So yep. it's a... Uh, yeah. It's a, there's never any real rest. There, there never, there's never a lack of things to do in, in South Florida in the wintertime. Well, that's why we don't have time for, for all the snow and delays and stuff. <laughs> I don't have time to shovel snow. I'm, uh, exactly. I'm, bit, I'm at the International Boat Show or the Super Bowl or the Big. Or Art Basel. It's wild. So, um, you know, as we get ready to get into 2020, um, what are your outlooks for 2020 as far as commercial real estate goes? We'll focus on the Miami area. Yeah. So... Talk about what you think is going to be are, are going to be big trends in 2020 in Miami. Yeah, I think you know. Look, I'm I'm a big picture guy, and maybe not so great at predictions. I kind of believe that things uh, next year are going to be pretty much the same as they are this year. I don't think too many drastic things happen on a year to year basis. It takes time, significant changes. But what I can say is that uh, I think that the South Florida commercial market is going to continue to be robust. We're going to continue to see development. We're still ground. There are groundbreakings nearly every single day, and of one asset class or another. We're seeing a lot of warehouse and, and logistics development heading out in West Miami Dade. We're looking at the Citizen M Hotel broke ground in the Brickell Market and in Miami World Center. We're seeing more land sales in Wynwood. We're seeing a lot of things. A lot of things happen. Big projects and retail around Lincoln Road still on South Beach. What I think will continue to happen, I mean, interest rates are extremely low. Money is cheap. 
I had a um, lunch with a, a client from Lugano, Switzerland, who is in an investment here. And we were talking about if he would be open to a sale. And he said, absolutely not. Uh, I want to buy. I don't want to sell any of my American assets. I want to buy more American assets. I want more of what I have because, I mean, in, in Switzerland, we have negative interest rates. In Germany, negative interest rates. And in any stable economy in, in Europe, I have to pay to put my money in the bank. I put a million dollars in the bank and a year later, I have 995000 It doesn't make any sense. I'd rather buy something in Miami, a hard asset like real estate and, and get back 5% of my investment. And that's, oh, that's great for me. So I think we're going to see more and more of that. I think we've always seen European investment. I think we're going to see more. The South American market has dried up to a large extent. We you know, I certainly wish a lot of these countries well. Things aren't going so well in Venezuela and Bolivia. A lot of the countries mm-hmm. are really in uh, political turmoil. So they would invest in in, in uh, Miami if they could, I think, and they have in the past. But what we're going to see more of is institutional money continue to invest where the population is growing. We're going to see more of European family money coming into South Florida. And the other trend, I think, is we're going to see more of what we discussed earlier. A lot of Miami developers are going to start moving up the coast and even more, uh, there's going to be accelerated growth of Miami developers going up uh, to Martin County, to Brevard County, to Palm Beach County, and, and these areas. And there's going to be continued investment on the West Coast mm-hmm. of Florida as well. I mean, as long as the population continues, we receive, I think, another 900 uh, residents to Florida every single day. So, and it's extraordinary. I mean, 50 years ago, the Florida was probably the... I don't know, 30th most populous state. And, uh, and a couple of years ago, we surpassed New York as the third largest state in the United States. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, um, I mean, the colder the winters, the more people want to come to Florida, but the tax structure that we have here, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's been such a huge thing because if you're up in New York or California, uh, Illinois, some of these states that have these really high personal income tax rates and corporate income tax right. rates, a lot of companies are, are shifting. I mean, that's we've had several engineering and like defense contractor companies that are coming over to Brevard County because of the tax structure. Mm-hmm. They work with the military, so it, it's a huge benefit for our state. And yeah. you know, at the end of the day, more people are wanting to live the dream, like <laughs> you and I are. I mean, you know, at the end I'm of the day, no, I mean, true. I don't want to. Now, some people love winter and everything, but I mean, I need to be outside. I need to have some energy. Yeah. And, fresh air and, and all that. And so it's a huge trend for us. Yeah. And when more people come, you need more commercial real estate for them. That's right. Ben, you know, I'm from uh, originally from Lansing, Michigan. And uh, yes. a lot of the folks from my area, they always say that they love the four seasons. I I love three out of four seasons. <laughs> and uh, So being in South Florida accomplishes what I need to accomplish. And, and I, I like to go back on vacation. But yeah, that the, the salt taxes have, have, you know, look, taxes have always been a reason for folks moving from high tax states to low tax states. And the, and the, the salt, uh, the, the state and local taxes uh, mandate that has just been passed by the federal government has been, has got a lot of people thinking and a lot of people moving and um, especially high income folks. And they're, they're all coming down and they're planning for their eventual move. But another really interesting point, I probably should have mentioned this in the trends, I heard some talks last week at an Urban Land Institute conference and apartment developers and financiers alike talked about how in New York, 
the very statement and implementation of rent control and all of these new rent uh, laws had just totally blown up their pro forma modeling such that their apartment, new buyers of apartment buildings just lost 25% of their value, meaning probably all of their equity. So if you, mm-hmm. if you buy an apartment building in 2018 with the idea that, hey, I'm going to buy this apartment building here and you know then I'm going to slowly change the tenants over. Each time a lease expires, I'm going to raise the rents until I can get to here. And then I'm going to just slowly raise them 3% per year for the next seven years. All of that's out the window because you, now you're not allowed to do that. And if, if you thought you're going to change the carpets and the floor coverings and put stainless steel refrigerators and appliances well, now you're not going to make that investment. So these, so the, the, the trend there is these developers that were doing apartments in Manhattan, doing apartments in Queens and Brooklyn and Long Island City and all this, they're starting to change their minds and they're, no, they're starting to come to South Florida. That's interesting. Well, you know, we could talk about real estate <laughs> for many, many, many hours and, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on. But one of the segments we always have on the podcast is a living the dream moment oh. where we ask a series of fun questions on pop culture and other cool stuff to see if you, David Restainer, are truly living the dream. <laughs> Thanks, man. This is great. Let's do it. Yeah. So, all right. If you've listened to uh, some of my podcasts, which I know you have, yes. Seinfeld is one of my favorite shows. So, what is your favorite Seinfeld episode? <laughs> yes, I love it. You know, the one I liked a lot is uh, the Kenny Rogers Roasters one, <laughs> the, the big, the big red, <laughs> with the neon lights and uh, and the and the kind of the the switching of personalities with with uh, Kramer and Jerry. Yeah, because Jerry ended up having to spend a couple of nights in Kramer's place. <laughs> yeah, right. And he he became Kramer. He became Kramer, and and, he, and uh, Kramer became Jerry. And I love it. First of all, I think it's ludicrous that Kenny Rogers has a chicken <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> that in and of itself is pretty funny to me. But uh, yeah, just the way that and the way that Newman gets gets hooked on Kenny Rogers roasters. Oh, yeah, that that one is probably one of my very favorites. Yeah, no, that was a good one. All right, next question. What's your favorite Rodney Dangerfield movie? For sure, Caddyshack. I mean, I think Caddyshack is one of the classics that they should be teaching the kids these days. And but you know, oh yeah, definitely Caddyshack, definitely. But the another good one is Easy Money. And remember Easy Money? There's there's a scene when he was uh, the photographer, and just the faces that Rodney Dangerfield makes are absolutely hilarious. Uh, he's, he's, yeah, and Rodney Dangerfield stand up is really phenomenal too. But I have, you have to go with Caddyshack. Yeah, well, see, since you're in real estate, I kind of figured you'd pick Caddyshack because he played a real estate developer in Caddyshack. Oh, I tell you, yeah, the cemeteries and golf courses—the biggest waste of land ever. <laughs> oh me! All right, well, sticking with the theme of Caddyshack here, what's your favorite Bill Murray movie? Yeah, look at that. That could be now. Nah, well, I can't go Caddyshack twice, can I? Is there a rule? On you could if you that, think that's that the really best, your favorite Bill Murray movie. No, no, no. Stripes, Stripes. Oh, no, I love Stripes. Yeah, yeah, Stripes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Thanks a lot, Francis. Yeah, you can't leave. All the plants will die. Yeah, I know. Well, they filmed that in Louisville, Kentucky. Are, are you kidding? I didn't no, know that. I'm not kidding. They filmed my, it in Louisville, and then my the, father lives in Louisville. And then the uh, the military area was Fort Knox. So, of course, one of my favorite lines, and I mentioned on a a private or a a prior podcast with uh, Ronnie G, but I just love that line when Warren Oates, who's Sergeant Hulka, he's going in there and they're talking to all the the new guys and they're introducing themselves. And of course, Bill Murray had already kind of gotten in trouble a little bit and he was known as Mr. Push Ups. So he's like, all right, Mr. Push Ups, 
So what's your story? And Bill Murray's like, chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually rather interesting. And I just thought that was so funny because he was saying that with such a straight face in there. And so he basically went in there and he was like, at the end of the day, he was like, I will devote my leadership <laughs> to this organization. And he's like, Lee Harvey, yeah. you are a madman. When you were like trying to make it with that cow, and then he's like, I want to hang with you, cowboy, and all that. But it was just such a Yeah, yeah it's really, really good. And uh, the, the whole making the bed, if we're in Germany or no, but if we're in Paris, I would make your bed. Uh, John Candy, yeah, all good oh. stuff. That's a good one. Thanks, Francis. Yeah. All right, so what's your uh, favorite TV show? You know what? It, well, it's Curb Your Enthusiasm, I think. Or oh, so that's it's a, a good one. Yeah, so it's it's almost like Seinfeld. I, I think, and I also loved uh, Arrested Development. That's also another good one. Look at you see, see these real estate themes. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Arrested Development, I think, is right up there too with Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, well, Larry David, of course, is one of the co-founders of Seinfeld, so yeah. he was pretty funny. I tell you what, though, I mean, those shows were really funny. But on Saturday Night Live, he's been doing the Bernie Sanders impressions, and they are oh, hilarious because yeah. he looks like Bernie yeah, Sanders. Yeah, the question is, is, is he Bernie? I think they may. You never see them both in the same place uh, at, at the same time. He may well be Bernie Sanders. Yeah. So we talked a lot about Miami um, real estate, and uh, you know, you've been around Miami for several years. What are your favorite Miami hotspots? Yeah, you know, I do – Hot spots. I don't. I don't get out after midnight all that much anymore. Uh, there's still a lot of things that are are worth doing. That's for sure. And I live vicariously through my friends that do them. But uh, I really like enjoying the life uh, in the city and in Brickell. I lo- I love to walk just about everywhere I go. So I. I I mean, I love dinner at Juvia uh, in South Beach on Lincoln Road. I love. I love mm-hmm. Smith and Walensky's is an old classic. I mean, these are classics. Uh, the new, the latest new hotspots you've already mentioned, like Swan and the Design District, those are all fun. I really love uh, the Casa Tua uh, food hall that's in in Brickell City Center, and I love Quinta La Huela, which is a great, great, great restaurant in uh, the East Hotel. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I've oh. been there before. They have a pretty good Sunday. Uh- yeah, the, Sunday brunch. Yeah, incredible, incredible. Yeah, speaking of brunches, uh, Zuma has a great brunch. I, I'm a really, I really love, I just really love the outdoors and, and the good vibes that are that are here in South Florida. There's just you know too many to yep. too many to mention. Yeah, well, those are all good spots. All right, so one thing we haven't mentioned yet, besides being a busy realtor, you have a, a new yeah. child, I guess. Yeah, a couple he's years two, old yeah. now, so. What's your favorite part of being a dad? Oh man, every I mean, the, everything about being a dad is cool. I mean, I can't even you know, it's it, even changing diapers isn't smelly when, when you're when you're in love with your child. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's uh, it's indescribable. It's it's the kind of love that you know is never going to go away. It's that, and I love coming home, you know, putting the key in the door and just making the slightest little sound and hearing from the other side, Papa, and uh, yeah, it's it just melts your heart. Yeah, Conrad Rourke is his name, Conrad Rourke. And so uh, another, another. Named him after a hotel. <laughs> Still with this real estate team. Yeah, named after Howard Rourke, the, the, uh, the architect. And then, <laughs> <not> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's a good observation. Actually, he's named after his great great grandfather, who was also born on the same day, uh, July 18th in, in Switzerland. And so I named him after his, his uh, 
is relative. Uh, and it's funny. So yeah, so he does look at the Conrad in uh, downtown and point to it. And, uh, and he says, rah, rah. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's good to see kids. And they, and um, when they start to learn words and, you know, get sentenced, I mean, it's everything. Every day is a different, it's a different adventure. It's really, really wonderful. Yeah. Well, I kind of get that same feeling with Rodney. I put my key in and <laughs> I'll hear a little, I hear a bulldog on the other side and I, he jumps up and he's excited. So I just put a big bench <laughs> by my door. And so I sit down oh. and we wrestle and play and all that. Oh yeah. That is great. So, that is great. You gotta have to teach him to say Papa. That's uh that should be well, Rodney's new trick. He barks whenever he needs something or he takes that paw and slaps me on the leg. <laughs> so he, he communicates. He's got it down. Oh, yeah. He's a beautiful man. So, I miss him. Yeah. In my regard. Well, yeah, he, he's a good boy. So how do you, you manage this busy career and you still find time to be a good dad, a good significant other? Because that's one thing that people of our generation kind of, you know, we're, we're A personalities. We're always wanting to succeed and on the go and of course in real estate you're always on call and everything's an emergency but sometimes we forget to take time and uh, focus on our our family and our oh. our personal life and downtime for us so how do you manage that with your life well no that's a great question and one is just don't sleep um and two is if you're going to be working for a company work for one like mine that's extremely supportive of your family. I mean, it's, uh, it's really incredible. The, the, you know, the leadership at, uh, at Douglas Elliman, they, you know, they, they call on my son's birthday, they call on my birthday. They're, they're really, really supportive. You know, go, you know, is it time to take your son to Disney world yet? You know, go. <laughs> oh, really? Well, that's, that's pretty really cool. Amazing company. So that's very helpful. And, uh, they're also very supportive of, of community involvement. You know, I, I tend to work on a lot of charities and a lot of things in the community and they're, and Douglas Elman's very supportive of that. So to balance all of these things is, is if you have a career, tr- do your very best to find a company that supports a family first mentality. And then you, that definitely takes a lot of stress off of you to, to focus on your family first. So I'm pretty sure I'm a good dad. I mean, I've, I haven't screwed anything up too badly and I'm, do- and I'm doing pretty all right as a partner and, uh, you know, to my wife. And so hopefully I'm not screwing that up too badly. And, uh, and uh, doing a good job. I've been uh, with with a company now for seven years, and that's going really well. So hopefully, I'm doing it well. But uh, you you just have to make a big effort to try to to manage it. Yeah, well, that's a good answer, good approach. So next question, because we met through the Friends of the New World Symphony, and you were the the chair of the Young Professionals Group. And so I want to ask you about some music. So what what are your favorite type of uh, what are your favorite bands? Uh, type of music. And if you want to elaborate on uh, Friends of the New World Symphony, go ahead. Oh. That's been a big economic driver and also art, cultural phenom yeah. really in Miami. That's great. Yeah, it sure is. The New World Symphony is a treasure. It's a, you know America's only orchestral academy. Every year they have 80, 89 fellows that come through the program on a three-year a three-year stint. And so, you know, roughly half, uh, one-third of them turn over every year, but they train musicians for life. And the musicians in turn help with the community, with community outreach in Miami through the different high schools and different programs. And they have exchange programs in Columbia. The building itself is phenomenal. It's a Frank Geary designed building with under the the creative directorship of uh, Michael Tilson Thomas and President Howard Herring. The leadership from the top of that organization to the bottom is phenomenal. I mean, they, they have a passion for music and they have a passion for community. And it's just, I, I can't say enough great things about uh, the New World Symphony. 
and sometimes they rock out. <laughs> so, yeah, well, they recently had one. I wasn't able to go, but I know when I was on the board, I always liked when they had the rock things <laughs> because, you know, just for the audience, the Friends of the New World Symphony was basically like a, a group that was set up for for the young professional crowd because the idea was when you think of orchestras, traditionally you think, okay, well, it's old people who go and listen to it or it's like parents of the kids that are in the band. And so the idea was to get a younger demographic of people who would go to the symphony and listen. And so they would have your traditional orchestra work with like your Beethoven and Bach and different new conductors as well. But they'd also do unique things like um, they'd have this thing called Pulse, which would be the orchestra playing with a DJ because DJ music's popular in Miami. And that's been a big success. And they'll do like the orchestra and they'll play classic rock and they'd be doing like Queen songs or Led Zeppelin or Aerosmith and they, just a wide variety of things that I thought was pretty cool. And then you'd have the networking opportunities as well. So I thought that was no, cool. No, that's a good point. There's so many opportunities to go out for, uh, you know, in, in Miami Beach to, uh, you know, the vodka of the month party. But I think the Friends of the New World Symphony did a great job. You mentioned Pulse. That was pretty revolutionary. I mean, they took the the concert hall and and removed the seats, just pushed them all back and basically turned the turned it into a, a nightclub, you know, with all this state-of-the-art video video equipment and state-of-the-art sound and a live orchestra and a DJ. Yeah, the pulses were phenomenal. And and uh and I remember in particular a couple of events early on in the the history of the Friends where they, they did a a concert on the beach in the sand on a full moon, and they did the orchestra did Thievery Corporation songs. And it was absolutely amazing. It couldn't have been a better venue. couldn't have been a better group of people. They did another one at a hotel where they did all Jamiroquai songs, all remastered. Yeah, it's a, the Friends of the Symphony is, is really, really great, a great cause and a great reason to get out and do something uh, extraordinary and different. Yeah. One thing um, I'd be remiss to mention about, um, or if I didn't mention about it, is uh, with that new building, it's right behind mm-hmm. Lincoln Road. It's on 17th Street in Miami Beach, and they have a concept called Wallcast that have been very successful for people where even if you don't get tickets to the concert, you can go and hear the orchestra out in the yeah. park for free. And, you know, I mean, it's very well attended. People get there early and they'll bring their chairs or, you know, bring their snacks and all, all that. And it's also helpful, too, like when they do like the Christmas oh, yeah. concerts and they'll do like movie nights and stuff. And so, that's something that I thought was very well done because it helps get more right. people together and more oh, big sense time. Of community. Yeah. Free and open to the community. It's really wonderful. And it's, I remember the first ones we, I went to the rooftop and, and looked down and there were 2000 people in the park and man, everyone left. There wasn't one, you know, piece of litter. <laughs> Every, it was just like the most amazing group of, of people from grandfathers and, you know, little kids on dates and and uh, coolers and dogs and cats living together. They, well, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see any cats. Sorry, I into a Bill Murray line, I think. But anyway, yeah, it's really awesome. I mean, as far as rock and roll bands, I mean, I've got so many, but, you know, I'm, I'm an older guy, so I'm not keeping up as much as I should with some of the newer music. But uh, Well, I like, the, you know, the, the classic ones. The ACDC, yep. Guns N' Roses, yeah, I do too. Led Zeppelin. I do have my best concert story I can share with you, the best concert story ever. I was a big Red Hot Chili Peppers fan in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, and uh, while at college, one of my roommate's older brother lived in Chicago and sent us this EP of the Smashing Pumpkins, which we listened to over and over and over and just loved it too. 
And so we found out that the Smashing Pumpkins were going to open up for the Red Hot Chili Peppers in my hometown, Lansing, Michigan, at the Michigan State University Auditorium. And so I got a ride uh, down and I got there early and I got to see the first band and I was very excited. It was festival carnival seating. Then you could run up to the front. So I was in the very front row for this first band that I'd never heard of, didn't know who they were, but they were amazing. And I loved it. And I thought it was phenomenal. And my buddies joined me a little bit late. They came for the second act. And in between the first act and the second act, I saw another old friend from high school. And he, I said, man, Todd, that was a great first band. Who is that? And he goes, Pearl Jam. <laughs> so, so Pearl Jam opened up for the Smashing Pumpkins who opened up for the Red Hot Chili Peppers in Lansing. But wait, there's more. Walking back home to my buddy's apartment, he lived above this bar called uh, Rick's American Cafe in Lansing. We stopped at a 7-Eleven, picked up a couple of beers, went to, the, went to their apartment and drank them, came downstairs to the bar, Rick's American Cafe, and there were the Red Hot Chili Peppers in the bar. And they took over the, the stage and played, and, and the bars in, in Michigan closed at 2 a.m. They played until 5 in the morning. They locked the doors of the bar and just handed out beers rather than sell them. And everyone partied and rocked all night long. So that was a that was my favorite rock band story. Well, that, that's a heck of a story right there. That's a Bill Murray yeah. kind of story. <laughs> yeah, I know. Bill Murray was not at the concert as far as I could tell, but I wish he were. <laughs> yeah, well, it was funny. I mentioned that because like um, back a few years ago when the Chicago Cubs were in the World Series and stuff, you'd see all these videos because Bill Murray was going to all the, the games and stuff. Uh-huh. And so they would show these videos on like Facebook or YouTube. And it's like Bill Murray just like randomly walks into this party in Chicago. And he's just like, they're like doing karaoke and singing and stuff. And oh. and you just see him pop up from time to time. And it's like, it's okay. Cause it's Bill Murray. But if it was like you or me, they'd be like, who's this guy? Let's call the cops. <laughs> oh man. Did he grab the microphone and do the lounge singer bit? I don't know if he did that. You know, he, he didn't do that, but he did get up there. And I think, Pearl Jam was there. There was one where, yes, there was one where I think Eddie Vedder was there. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Because Eddie Vedder was a Cub fan too. Yes. Rock over London, rock on Chicago. You'll have to pull that up on YouTube. I'll look that up. (laughs) That's great. So going from the the world of uh, rock music, we got to transition to the world of wrestling, Ah, which makes complete sense. Well, we're talking about important cultural milestones in American history. We we can't leave out. (laughs) I I don't think Michael Tilson Thomas or Howard Herring are listening to this, but if they were, and we transitioned from the New World Symphony to wrestling, I think they would probably have a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) I think that Howard uh, and Michael Tilson Thomas would agree with me that the best professional wrestler is. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did come into bagpipe theme because he's very much into the end of the musical ensembles when he came out of the bagpipes and the drummers and the whole <laughs> and the kilt and the whole deal. Yep. All right. So that makes a lot of sense. All right. So in your career, I know you've had some um, some key mentors. So who are the three biggest mentors in your career? Well. Without yeah, my father for sure. My father for sure. Though I probably never told him enough, but he uh, really helped me learn a lot of great life lessons. And uh, you know those Midwestern kind of lessons that you brush off when you're young, and then you put into practice when you're older. And he was always very, 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 very uh, defensive about his reputation, meaning that to defend his reputation, I should say, and just doing the right thing by people because you know you're going to live a long time, son. Another one of the funnier ones he used to say was, uh, even a fish doesn't get in trouble if he keeps his mouth shut. 
So, uh, which, <laughs> which if I would have really listened to, I wouldn't be getting sued by Howard <laughs> Herring and Michael Tilson Thomas uh, for appropriating their wrestling wishes. But yeah, so my father for sure. And, uh, you know, Howard Lorber is a is very inspirational kind of a guy who really put a lot of faith in me and, and uh, helped with growing Elliman to where it is today. And certainly all, all of the, the, the people that I've, that I've worked with, you know, throughout my career and, you know, all the big, the big greats in Miami, for sure. Yeah. And my aunt, my aunt yeah. Donna is another one who you know, was always a great big help in my life. Yeah. That's good. Cause I know, I mean, I remember uh, you were at fortune when I first met you and then transitioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, There's- you know, it's, it's one of those things too, that you have um, in your career, there are so many people that you don't always realize the wisdom that they're they're giving you until maybe years down the road. So it's always good to yeah. be open minded. Yeah, you're right. There's a couple of other. I mean, I, I there's so many that um, I, too many to count. But when I can get tell you another real estate story of, of the the very first place I started my real estate career was uh, called Majestic Properties in Miami Beach, and it was led by a friend uh, by by the name of uh, Jeff Moore. And Jeff hired me, mm-hmm. underpaid me grossly, but he really uh, was a tremendous mentor and an advisor and really helped me learn real estate and, and doing the real estate business the right way. Uh, when Edgardo de Fortuna was you know, recruiting me to come to Fortune and, and start a commercial division there, I spoke with Jeff and Jeff said, it's a wonderful opportunity, David. You have my cell phone number. You n- never lose touch. You know, let's, let's always you know, call me for anything. And he was really gracious in that way. So I left Majestic after five years, went to work at Fortune for over 10 years and sat down when, when Douglas Elliman decided to enter the South Florida market. I similarly sat down with the Gardo and, and talked to him about it. You know, so you have my cell phone number, call your welcome and back anytime you like. And it was, a, these are men that, um, that are really, that both Majestic and Fortune are really family oriented companies. In fact, it's a, you know, the company Fortune is, contains a Gardo, you know, a Gardo de Fortuna is, uh, you know, the namesake of Fortune and, and he's really, really good mm-hmm. to his people. And so when I left, when I left Fortune to go to Douglas Elliman, the first phone call that I made was to Jeff Moore at Majestic Properties and said, Jeff, you know, I'm now in charge of growing, you know, Douglas Elliman. Would you, you know, would you be open to discussions of, you know, selling the company? And and sure enough, it took some negotiations and and uh, but we got there and Douglas Elliman ended up acquiring Majestic Properties. So Jeff was a great mentor that taught me to never lose touch, never burn bridges. And so we've uh, come full circle, full circle. That's a good story. So the next question I have for you is, you know, we were talking about all these restaurants and going out to eat and stuff like that. If you could pick up to three celebrities that you'd like to meet for dinner, who do you pick? Oh, wow. Through celebrities. Well, and I, I will say, you know, a, it could be a local celebrity too. It doesn't have to be like a national celebrity. Well, I'd love to meet Ben Wilson for dinner because I haven't done that in a very long time. Not since I gave you that Possum Trot shirt. The Possum Trot shirt is absolutely. It's been <laughs> that. Is, I, mean, I have to. I have to admit, I've kind of grown. I've, um, I'm a little bit bigger now, and it doesn't fit it like it used to. But it is a wonderful shirt and a, fun, a fantastic gift. Yeah, I'd love to have dinner with Ben Wilson. Owen Wilson and uh, Ben Stiller. That would be a nice thing. <laughs> How would that be for a dinner combo? That sounds like a wedding crasher. Well, not no. Ben Stiller wasn't in Wedding Crashers. Oh, you know, so Farrell, Will Ferrell can join in and and, and Vince Vaughn. And Vince Vaughn. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. That yeah, that's my celebrity dinner. 
All right. That'd be a fun one. All right. Sticking with celebrities. And my final question. So when they make the movie about David Restainer <laughs> and all of his glory, yeah. who do you want to play you in the movie? <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man. Yeah, I haven't helped them. Uh, maybe, <laughs> ben, hey, I don't know, maybe Ben Stiller. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty funny. Now he's All right, so you're wanting a comedian. Uh, yeah, or Bill Murray. <laughs> I, I don't know. What do you, I don't know who to pick here. It's, it's a very tough question. Cary Grant? I don't know. I don't think he's available anymore. Well, I was thinking of a guy could, with a with a beard, though. So I was thinking maybe Zach Galifianakis. From the- <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, I did. I did, in fact, uh, walk around with a baby Bjorn when, when, when my son was born, and purposely wore those glasses coming out of the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. You could have him, or you could have. Gosh, you what? Um, uh, Jeff Bridges, you could, the guy that played um, the dude. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he has some good range. Yeah, yeah. You got to have a guy that's well, what? you know, well spoken, funny, all that. Uh, you go back to a Tom Selleck back in the day. That's ah, just your opinion, man. Yeah, yeah, Tom Selleck. Yeah, he's got a nice Ferrari and a Tiger's hat. That's uh, that's good. Yeah, he's a Michigan based. Yeah, this is well. Listen, I so this is exactly you know what you're doing now here, Ben. Is you're now uh, you've now been hired as my agent, so uh, you've got some great suggestions here. Yeah, so cool. Well, hey, um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You've been very gracious with Thank it. Um, it's one of those where I was planning for our, our interview to be about an hour, hour and fifteen minutes, and here we are, an hour and forty five minutes. But oh boy. that's what happens when friends get to talking and. Especially, you know, from the yeah. South and Midwest, we, we talk a lot. But um, your view, I really appreciate it. Ben, your listeners have the ability to hit change the speed when they listen, right? They can go 1.5 or 1.75 or 2. Point, no, to speed, yeah. to speed it up. So there you go. All right, good. Or it's like, you know, I, I had a leadership thing the other day, and a, a guy was telling me about the podcast. And he's like, you know, I really love the podcast and everything. And he's like, but I listen to it when I'm on my, my riding mower drinking a beer. <laughs> and so what he does. no 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 he was from florida (laughs) but anyway it was funny it's like yeah you know i like it because i can listen to it and i can go for like 45 minutes and then i can uh take a break and come back and i'm pick it up again or then i'm going in my shop or whatever that's great feedback yeah love it well thank you so much for the opportunity yeah and i was gonna say um thanks so much for coming on i really appreciate it and, uh, you know, we'll have to have you back on again. Obviously, the next time I'm in Miami, I'll let you know. We can get together for a lunch All or right. hanging Excellent. out. Excellent. I'll get Stiller and the boys and uh, we'll go to dinner. Yeah. All right. Thank you. So anyway, David, thanks so much for coming on. And um, to all our listeners, thanks for listening to this episode with David Restainer as we live the dream, talking about commercial real estate and Miami and just just overall just good friendship. It's, it's important to you know, keep your friends close. It's, you know, there's nothing like having a good, loyal friend you can always rely on. And, you know, as we get into the holiday season, people tend to think about that. And, you know, I always think a lot of my friends have been there for me. And, you know, David's definitely in that class. So, David, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for your friendship and the opportunity, Ben. It's been really, really fun. You're welcome. All right, everybody. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, happy holidays to everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.com.